What's happening, all you beautiful people? Welcome to a special edition episode of The Strange Road. We're out here at the Friends of the Serpent Mound Summer Solstice event. I'm your host, Mikey. This is Bub. As always, Hello. Stoner and Disbro back in the tent, the master control tent, everybody. Uh, and we actually have some hitchhikers here. Uh, some, some folks have come out to, you know, check out presentations. We have Cameron, Liz, Born Not to Runs here, live in action. That's so We've wild. only conversed with him in the YouTube chat and shouted him out there. So we're shouting you guys out live. Uh, Mike Downard also is here. He's been watching our show for a few months now. We've been connecting over Facebook. So if anybody uh, is here and uh, we appreciate your support and anybody else uh, that's here, thank you for being here as well. Yeah. Um, if you're not familiar with us, check out some of our stuff. You might find something you're actually interested in. We cover pretty much anything strange, right? So yep. it's not just this or that or one subject or the other. So um, all things strange. We cover a lot of topics and try to have a broad interest. Yes, and UFOs and ancient civilizations is one of our most largest interests, I would say, for sure. And yeah. this talk today, this conversation today, I can go ahead and get started an intro. Uh, Jeffrey Wilson, everybody, president of Friends of Serpent Mound. Uh, and, you know, I also want to thank all the, the members of Friends of Serpent Mound, Delcy Wilson and her mother, Beverly, uh, which uh, Beverly McKenzie. Thank you to them so much for organizing this. Um, it's an amazing event. We're having a ball. Without further ado, Jeffrey, how are you? Great. How about you? Oh, man, we're, we're doing great. Doing this good. is awesome. We've been super, super pumped. We're going to dive into the Serpent Mound Crop Circle today. And yeah. we're, we're stoked. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> the picture that we see on the screen up there um, is actually how I found out about this crop circle. Um, my now wife, Delcy, uh, was married to somebody else at the time, and uh, her and her mother were driving on the road just past the entrance to Serpent Mound, and they saw this in the field. And Delcy recognized that as being a crop circle, so she got onto the internet and she started searching to try to find somebody that would come out and, you know, be interested in somebody she could report it to. Somebody should, you know, somebody needed to know about it. And at the time, uh, I had uh, gotten out of college about uh, three years or so. Um, I had been teaching physics and astronomy. Uh, and I, throughout my, the entirety of my uh, collegiate days, I was doing research on crop circles as a side project. I'd been out to go and visit a number of crop circles uh, in Ohio and Indiana and Michigan and trying to document them from a scientific point of view. Uh, we would measure things uh, from, uh, you know, what kind of uh, radiation was being emitted, what kind of changes there were to the electromagnetic fields, what kind of changes there were to the plants, all that kind of stuff, which I'll talk a little bit about as we go through this. But um, I thought I had been writing and reporting on other crop circles, and she found some of my writing and said, okay, I'm going to contact this guy. And so she sent me an email. I looked at the email. She just had a description. I said, any, any chance you can send me a picture? So she went back out to the field and took this picture, sent it to me, and I said, okay, I'll be down with a team. And so we got uh, quite a few people from several states that are interested in crop circles. We had a loose kind of connection of group, group of people. 
and we came down to investigate this. We were, she arranged the permission from the landowner, a lady by the name of Molly Williams, who still lives in the house where the spring is on the other side of Brush Creek from Serpent Mound. That's the lady that owns this field. And uh, she arranged for the permission. We were the only ones allowed uh, permission to go into the field. And so we did our best to try and document as much of it as we possibly could in the one day that we had to go and look at it. Uh, and so some of what you're gonna see here is, uh, you know, what we saw. But that's, that's where this photo came from and that's my introduction to it. So when it was made or when it was discovered, does anybody know it was the day after or two days after or the time in between the actual formation and how long before somebody noticed it? Because Well, our best guess is that um, it must have happened the evening before okay. because uh, there had been nobody that had reported seeing it before that. And there were uh, some heavy electrical thunderstorms that had come through and had knocked out uh, power to three different power companies in the area. And uh, we think that that happened during that period of time. There was a lot of uh, rain that came from that. In fact, on the edge of the field, on uh, you know closest to where you are, mm -hmm. uh, the water had come up out of the banks of Brush Creek and had gone into the field and left mud on the uh, edge of the field. And so, uh, you know, was, if there was some, you know, uh, we would have seen, you know, those kinds of tracks. Yeah. And so, uh, let me flip so that's to... that's a good storm that actually came through, though. I mean, it was fairly yeah. significant. Right. Hmm. So, uh, this picture uh, that you're seeing here was taken by uh, one of our investigators. He was the first one to arrive, uh, his uh, T.C. Robertson. And uh, he, he took this photo looking at the central portion of the crop circle. He was so excited to when he arrived that he just ran straight across the field, right into the middle of it, which is not what we tend to do. <laughs> we try not to damage the farmer's fields. Uh, we will walk out to the edge and walk up one of the sprayer lines where they uh, leave marks in the field where they spray pesticides on the field. Try not to damage anything. Try not to leave any marks. And so he uh, he unfortunately did that. and But... We can, we can identify his track across the field on the aerial photograph. We know where that was made from. Um, so here you can see, though, this, this is a field of soybeans. And if you're not familiar with soybeans, they're kind of like a vine type of plant. Uh, they have all kinds of branches that come off the main stem. They're not like a stalk of wheat or a stalk of corn. Those are grass type plants. Soybeans are different. And... Um, there had, up to this point, there were actually very, very few soybean crop circles ever reported. And so we didn't really know what to expect. None of us had ever been in a soybean crop circle before. I've been in many wheat fields and cornfield ones. Uh, and like I said, there have been only a, a couple of reports of any even found. So we didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what to look for. We didn't know what to try to find. Um, and so it was... It was quite a learning curve. And, but what you see here is that although the stalks of the plants have flattened in the field, the branches of the plants are still sticking up. So it's not like what you might see on, you know, the History Channel or something like that on a documentary about crop circles where some guy with a board is stomping the plants oh, yeah. down. Yeah. Those plants are not stamped down here. You can see that. They're sticking yeah. up above the ground, probably about a foot and a half to two feet. 
And uh, so they're not, there is no mechanical damage here that we found. Uh, this is not your typical uh, hoaxer generated uh, crop circle, which does happen. Uh, but this is a one that, that just from looking at that, we were, wow, this is really something different. So. What's, what's the most common field to have a crop circle? Corn? Um, wheat? Wheat is number one, uh, corn two, or grass two, and then uh, corn three. Okay. Um, I, I, in other presentations, I usually break it out in a big pie chart and but go through all those. Soybean statistics. is almost unheard of. Yes. Uh, hmm. Yeah. It's very rare. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. That's kind of contextually just yeah, you and know, spatially close to. And within uh, a month of this one, we had visited two more. <laughs> here, one here in Adams County, another one in Adams County, and one up in uh, Ross County. So we ended up going to three different soybean ones within uh, about a month and a half. <laughs> that, wow. That's great. Wait a minute. So do you think they're all connected because it is the same kind of field? Um, I mean, and it obviously like with the frequency and. Well, they are, they are connected in more ways than one, but that's a, that's a, a really in-depth question that'll take a long time to answer. <laughs> you might want to save that for your anniversary special. Yes. Cause like <laughs> literally I've, I could do two hours on that. Topic. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right, I'll keep that one bottled up for the next time we get Jeff in studio. I'm gonna have to go That's a great question. Yeah. yeah. One we've certainly asked okay. and tried okay. to answer. I love yeah. it. Mysterious. <laughs> All right, you want to go up? Okay, go. Sure, yeah, right. so sure. We've, so far, we've only looked at photos that were taken from the ground. But obviously, the first thing we try to do is we try to get an aerial photo. Now, back in 2003, there were no drones like Mr. Drone Ohio here. Uh, so we would get up in a, in a plane and we would fly over it. Now, uh, that can get expensive. That can be uh, challenging to do in a rural area is to find somebody with a plane that'll take you up. So we did find somebody locally that could fly a plane that could take, uh, we could take us up. Unfortunately, it was a two-seater plane and actually one of the seats wasn't installed. And so he had some sort of plastic platform or something in the plane. And so actually uh, my uh, partner in crime, Roger Sugden, got the chance to fly and he took my camera with him. So I got photos with my camera. He got photos with his camera. He took, he took the photos. And uh, so here is what uh, the famous photo that you're talking That's about. Incredible. Okay. That's beautiful. Now there's this whole series or a sequence of photos as he flew past the field, but I like this one. Uh, for a, a number of reasons, but you can see Ted Robertson's, uh, you know, line coming across the field from the road. Oh my God! Look at that. Okay. Now the, there's a second line that you'll see uh, kind of off, uh, yep. you know, on the far right mm -hmm. that goes between pathways. A little zigzag. That that is my pathway <laughs> because I walked down along the edge of the field and came up one of the sprayer lines, and as I was coming up, I thought I'm going to miss this thing. I'm gonna totally miss this. And so I cut across and got to another sprayer line to walk into the crop circle, not knowing that the rest of that was out in the field. Couldn't tell that it was out there. Um, this whole entire thing is uh, a couple hundred feet across. Uh, so it's not, you know, uh, and, and the soybeans were about chest high. Wow. Pretty high. Uh, soybeans don't usually grow that high. Uh, I subsequently found out usually they, you know, maybe go about waist high, but these were a really tall yeah. and um, the farmer said it was the best crop of soybeans he'd ever had. He was so ticked 
when this thing came down in, in this field. <laughs> they came down and wrecked his soybean crop. Wrecked his soybean So crop. when you went into it, like I, I think you mentioned maybe in another conversation, there were no footprints that you saw. No. Obviously, there was no obvious like. Nope. No signs of mechanical damage. Yeah. No signs of. There is actually another pathway, which is barely perceptible, just uh, to the side of uh, of Ted's or to, yeah. to, oh, yeah, Ted yeah. Robinson's thinner, pathway. Yeah. It's very faint, and that was made by the farmer. After okay. Delcy identified this out there, uh, one one person walked out and got to that one circle out on the end, yeah. and then uh, and then walked back out. So we wow. we can account for all the pathways that we can see there. Now, if you're very eagle-eyed, you can see one specific feature of the formation that there are no pathways leading to it. Can you identify it? Uh, the tiniest little circle below the eye. Say, That's yeah, right. That yeah, kind one. of almost in the center there. Uh, below that central large eye feature. That is, we measured it out, uh, it's 18 feet to the closest pathway. Wow. So uh, there is no, there was no pathway leading to it. We only figured out that that was there after Roger got back with the photo, the aerial photos. Oh, Um, nobody could see it from the ground, obviously, because it was so tall. Okay. So we've heard stories of the sheriff were there. It was difficult to get inside. What did you guys, when you arrived on scene, when you were contacted by Delcy, then yeah. who, which then you so, had never met? Yep. So the first thing I said to her was, "Well, we can't. We aren't going to go out in the field unless we have permission from the landowner." Yeah. And so she arranged the permission with Molly Williams. Molly Williams granted us the permission to go there, but she said nobody else. And so uh, you know, it was just our group that was allowed to go out there. The sheriff did come by many times. I think they ended up putting some police tape up along the side of the road to keep people out. Uh, obviously, other people just went in uh, outside of any observations. There, there was somebody that I think was reported waving a shotgun around. I think that might have been Molly Williams' son at one point, just trying to get people out of there. Oh my God. Um, but, you know, I mean... Uh, Became a local tourist attraction? Well, yeah, or- because the local paper then, after we arrived... The local paper then reported on it, and oh, so then boom. then there were a lot more people that wanted to come out and see it. Oh, I um, bet. How long was the the, sur- the the formation there before the the crops were taken down or harvested, or how long was this up and you could oh, go see it and witness um, it? How long I would was it there? say month. Yeah, maybe maybe a little longer than that. Um, it, what you're seeing here is the field is is green uh from this vantage point. The way the light is reflecting off it, it looks kind of grayish. Right. Um, yeah. There, if you, the, Roger took photos from the other direction, looking at it uh, from the Serpent Mound side, and all the field is just bright green. So it just depends on where the light reflects off of it. Right. Sure. Um, so the the they have to wait until the field turns brown, leaves fall off, and then they can harvest it. So I would imagine it's usually around uh, October, beginning yeah. October, mid October. Yeah. Um, that they'll. You know, so it was probably around for about a good month or two. That's very, that's so cool. Yeah. Wow. It's such a crisp image, too. And I mean, it's such a crisp formation. Yeah. And like you said, the spot that's nearly 20 feet removed from any like accessible path inside that field, unless you're like a, a you right. know, competitive long jumper on the weekend. Or you dropped in from a helicopter. <laughs> <or>? Yeah. Black <laughs> op mission or something. Tom cruised it, just dangled over the top. <laughs> right. And... right. All right. So um, this is a photo that I took. Um, uh, a, a couple of weeks later, um, I had gone back home to Michigan. Roger went back home to Indiana. Ted went back home to Indiana. Everybody went and went back home after our investigation. 
And uh, Delcy um, had gotten a report of another crop circle up in Ross County. And so we came down and visited that one. And that one was definitely man-made. In fact, it was incomplete. Uh, somebody had probably tried to, we see this happen often. There are like these copycat crop circles. Once one gets reported in the paper, somebody's got to go out there and try to make one. So this one, somebody tried to go and make this giant, almost looks like a Mercedes-Benz symbol. Uh, and they just didn't quite make it in the field. So we drove all the way down here again. And uh, within you know, 10 or 12 minutes, we identified it was man-made. Well, uh, I figure we're already down here. I'm going to get another pilot to take me up, and I'm going to go and fly uh, and look at the crop circle at Serpent Mound again. Yeah. So I went up, got some pictures of Serpent Mound, got some pictures of the crop circle. And the pilot that took me up, a guy by the name of Dan Music, about a week or so later was flying down Route 50 in the Paint Creek Valley near Bainbridge and spotted another crop circle. And if he hadn't flown me over this one and I explained to him what I was looking for, he would have never seen the crop circle. A little synchronicity and, of like, you know, yep. here's your crash course. That's in this right. No exactly. That's exactly right. Next yeah. time you're out flying, keep your eyes open. Yep. And he, that's exactly what he did. And he spotted it and, and contacted me and we came back down again. Uh, same valley as the, you know, the, the other one. And, uh, and so, you know, that's, that was our start. So, it, you know, this is a kind of an interesting picture for that reason. Also, in this photograph, I'm, I'll put up a little line here. The central axis of the crop circle actually points right to the head of Serpent Mound. That's wild. Uh, it goes right through the, the sort of triangular head of Serpent Mound, which is right up there on the top of that bluff. It's hard to see with the trees up there, but that's where it is. Right. Um, and... Uh, I'll uh, show you an, uh, a couple more pictures here just to give you some sense of scale. So I like this picture. Wow. This was taken by Benita McLeese. Is she here? Benita McLeese lives across the street from Soaring Eagle Field. Hello, Benita. <laughs> and um, she sent me these about, uh, I want to say maybe 10 years ago. I didn't know that she had gone up and taken pictures, but she came to one of our events. I gave, gave a talk about this crop circle, and she said, I've got pictures. I went up and got aerials. Wow. So she sent me this, and I liked this one because it has a, a, a car driving by, so you can see the sense of scale of how big that crop circle is versus that truck uh, driving on the road there. Wow. Um, and, you know, so I, I kind of like that one. Uh, and she's got the strut of the plane there in the, in the photo. That's so cool. But uh, one of the things that we try to do is we try to get really accurate wow. aerial photographs of these uh and so a guy that I knew who was part of our, uh, you know, sort of circle of people, a guy by the name of Chris Steele had a friend who owned an aerial mapping company up in Columbus. And so they, uh, for free, flew down and did a orthographically rectified photograph of the crop circle and serpent mound together. And so this is perfectly, you know, uh, flat. And so wow. that allowed us to understand exactly what that alignment was of the axis of that crop circle pointing right to Serpent Mound. I had a hunch that it did, um, and so uh, I had taken GPS readings inside the crop circle and then GPS readings of Serpent Mound to try to figure out what that alignment was, but this certainly helped visualize it dramatically, uh, you know, for us to try, to try to figure out what that was. Yeah, I mean, it looks pretty dead on. I mean, yeah, yeah. Th that's what... 
Crazy. At first we thought it might be going through the tail because from Serpent Mound looking back at it, you kind of, it was kind of deceptive. You could see it from the tail overlook and you could just say, well, is that pointed to us or is it not pointed to us? It's pretty close, but really it is actually pointed at the head. Right. So. Oh yeah, clearly. Look at That's, that. So it almost seems like it's almost like a compass. I mean, it's north, south, east, west with inside that circle as well, right? Because the head of the serpent is true north, correct? Uh, no. Uh, if you draw a line from the spiral tail through the head of the serpent, the notch from in the back way, of the head. that way it's north. Oh, okay, so that's I see. North. So it's, okay. it's I kind it was of like uh, west, southwest. Okay, I got you. All right. Now, just to give you a sense of what the damage was done to the plants inside, the one on the left is a photograph of what the healthy soybean plants looked like in the rest of the field. Uh, where the, the stalks attach to the main stem, that's called a leaf base. And that leaf base, uh, you can see, is nice and green. And it's soft tissue. Uh, it's called parenchyma tissue. That's where all the new cells are being born to extend the stalk out. And so those are all intact. What we found in the flattened areas of the crop circle was what you see on the right is where those leaf bases were, those were cooked from the inside out. Weird. And you'll notice that there's like red discoloration on that stalk. The red discoloration is due to a change in a chemical inside the plant. Uh, when uh, plants get under stress, like in the fall, when the cold weather happens, it turns your leaves different colors in the fall. That, that those uh, plants start to produce a chemical called anthocyanin. And that's what turns the plant a different color. That's what's happening here. So whatever uh, energy made this thing, it not only cooked the plant from the inside out, but it stressed the plant enough that it started producing that anthocyanin. And so that's what we see. Uh, we saw that throughout the whole thing. Now, there are about eight to 10 leaf bases or stem attachments on every stalk of plant. We did a statistical study where we collected a ton of plants out in the rest of the field at different distances. And then we took plants from different sections of within the flattened areas. And we measured and documented the damage on the leaf bases. Uh, almost all of the leaf bases on the plants that were flattened in the formation had this damage. We did not find a single uh, damaged stem outside of the, the formation. Wow. So it's almost been microwaved. It's like, well, we don't know what kind of energy it is, but uh, yeah. you know, that's, but, and, wow, and I'll, I'll, I'll show you a cross Clear. section of that so you can really see it. Oh, wow. That's even crazier. Right. Okay, so again, uh, the one on the left is the healthy one. And you can see soybeans have these little hairs on the outside of the plant. Mm -hmm. They're very delicate. Um, the light inside area where, and then there's a dark, green core, that light inside area is the parenchyma tissue. And then you have the core where all the nutrients go back and forth in the plant to keep the plant healthy. What you see on the left is that parenchyma tissue been cooked from the inside, but not the hairs on the outside of the plant. None of those are damaged and the core wasn't damaged. So that's why even though the plants have been flattened, they just didn't die. They were still healthy and growing, uh, but just now flat in that flattened state. Weird. Right. Wow. 
But they also like lay in the same direction a lot of times as well, right? Like yeah. the, now, the flow of the actual mm-hmm. plant being laid down. We right? did document the flow. Uh, I don't have a slide in here of that, but um, the flow changed direction in certain places within it. Um, if I go back to... So it's almost like they're directing the well, energy I'm, or I'm wondering whatever the energy, however okay. that energy comes out, if it has like a toroidal it, field this sticking is, out. This is a little subtle to see, but soybeans. in that center of the it? eye... You see the line. Okay, the eye is uh, what's known as uh, a vesica Pisces, but in the center, that little same kind of shape, that's called a vesicula. In the vesicula, the flow in the vesicula was in opposite directions along the main axis. So one, the plants are coming towards the camera, and then the other plants are going away from the camera. So that's why you see a change in color there. Right. Um, but we saw the change in flow in several sections of the of the of the crop circle. Okay. And yeah. sometimes we withhold some of those details like that uh, where we see that because if someone comes forward and says that they made this, mm. then we say, okay, uh, tell us how you made it, you know, what, how you walked around, what's the flow? And then we say, ah, that's not how it is because you can see this flow change, yeah. right? Gotcha. So we kind of hold some of those details back uh, just for, for those kinds of, yeah. you know, things. But Good sure, sure. I mean, nice. to really, yeah, put it through the trials. Yep. All right, so... Gotcha. I got a couple of graphs here. I know nobody likes these things. Bob but loves graphs. I love graphs, way. numbers, charts, okay. any kind of analytics. So I enjoy what them. we have here is we have measured uh, for radiation inside the crop circle. And what you see here is that all of the yellow and orange dotted lines in there is the level of radiation that we measured outside the crop circle at different distances. There's always a level of background radiation that we're all exposed to every day coming from the sun. And so it fluctuates, uh, generally speaking, but it's within a certain band. We know what that is. And that's what we're seeing with those yellow lines. The blue lines, the light blue and the dark blue lines, are the radiation that we measured inside the crop circle in different areas of the crop circle. So this is, uh, you know, not something that you're going to produce if you're walking around with a board or a garden roller. You're not going to generate this kind of radioactivity. Uh, the radioactivity that we have generally found inside crop circles lasts about, and we've never measured radiation longer than 10 days after a crop circle has happened. It dissipates somewhat uh, quickly, um, and it's not in any way like in a, some kind of danger level where you need a containment suit or anything like that. It's just, you know, kind of, you can see they're slightly above the background, yeah. but statistically significant. Hmm. Now, is there any way that somebody could come up and say, well, no, even these spikes are, you know, just say uh, this portion of the crop circle soaked up more radiation from the sun, and that's why it's there, Jeff. It's not um, anything any more significant. Is, no, could that be? No, we, because we find uh, alpha, beta, and gamma coming off of this stuff, um, hmm. and uh, the... Um, there have been a couple of hoaxer groups that have tried to go around and like scatter some radioactive material. Oh my God, that's great. Uh, Do they low, know Doc Brown? Stuff. Are they getting uh, you know plutonium? <laughs> no, I think it's like like some kind the of radioactive machine? salts or something. Yeah, oh, they, wow. you know, like radium. Uh, but but I I've never seen it happen in the U.S. And they you know it was like done for one of these History Channel things or whatever. Oh, of course. Okay, okay, okay. I would say your your average uh, what they're weekend trying to hoaxer. do. What these hoaxer groups are trying to do, especially for these documentaries, is they're trying to 
match the details that are being reported in these genuine ones. Yeah. And there are just some de- things that they just can't do. And then this, you know, is one of those things. But even to that, even if it took scattering some radioactive material to duplicate it and you got right. the flow correct, I don't, I don't know that many people that have, maybe you could manufacture it. I don't want to know how to, I want to Google it and have somebody knocking on my door tomorrow about, you know, <laughs> what have you been looking up? But, um, right. you know, I, th- again, that's a level of hoax that I don't think people are going to. So yeah, adds more credence well, to there's, the There's other unknown. details here we'll get to here. Uh, so here's another chart. This is a real oh, okay. crazy chart. So all of the measurements on the two-thirds of the right-hand side are measurements that were taken within uh, the crop circle. The measurements, the last uh, couple there on the right side are measurements that were taken outside of the crop circles at different distances, the last three, 100 feet out, 200 feet out, 300 feet out. So what you see here are different kinds of measurements that we do. Uh, The dark blue is measuring the local magnetic field. Uh, the, the yellow there is measuring the electric field. Uh, we measure for radio and microwave emission. Uh, this particular crop circle is the only crop circle that we have ever gone into where we actually measured radio and microwave emission emitting out of the crop circle itself. Wow. Um, we, we've, te- we've done that test in, in dozens and dozens of other crop circles, never seen anything like it. We actually always kidded ourselves, this is just like a control test. Like we know that we're going to probably get something else in in these other settings, but we never get anything on the radio microwave. And this time we did until we got out of the crop circle, and then it went back to the back to zero. Um, we don't have good explanations for why this might be the case, but we try to document what we can because we don't really know, you know, what the mechanism is, what the source cause of these uh, crop circles are. So we're just trying to scatter shot of a whole range of tests that we can, you know, document whatever facts we can get, yeah. you know, so, and so just as a kind of an overall thing, I know this is a ton of words. If anybody is interested in this kind of information, this report, this comes from a report that I put out on uh, www.iccra.org. That stands for the Independent Crop Circle Researchers Association, which I, uh, you know, served as the head of, um, and we documented all of the crop circles that have been reported in the United States going back into the 1800s. And uh, so there are some specific uh, reports, more in depth that we've done. This is one of them. You can download this as a PDF. A lot of this material is in there, but this is really talking about the actual information and what statistical studies that were done of you know, the magnetic field study or the electric field study, the radio microwave or the radiation, every single test came back statistically positive. Uh, you know, so it was, uh, this is just sort of the fact sheet stuff. Now, this is all sort of the real heavy duty science po- side of it. Once we get to a point where we can determine this is not made by people, mm. okay? That's the whole reason for doing all this testing is that we just want to determine is this made by people or is it not made by people? And once we can get to the point where it's not made by people, then we can start doing some sort of higher order uh, kind of uh, analysis of it because I don't want to waste my time trying to uh, analyze some hoaxers, you know, crop circle. So uh, 
one of the things that I uh, did when we did uh, kind of a survey of the crop circle and got all its measurements and everything, try to make a map of it, uh, a friend of mine, another crop circle researcher over in England by the name of Alan Brown, uh, he's a kind of a crop circle geometer. He kind of studies the geometry of crop circles. Okay. And he and I spoke together at a conference in Arizona uh, many, many years ago. And his presentation was about an analysis of crop circles in England that he had done over the course of a number of years. There were many crop circles in England in the late 80s, mid 80s to late 80s, and into the 90s that had a roughly similar pattern to them. They called it a Celtic cross pattern. Essentially five circles spread out like on a dice. Right. All right. And what Alan did was he measured the sizes of the circles and the distances of the, that they were away from each other. And sometimes they had big rings around them or whatever. Um, have you ever heard of uh, the uh, archaeologist Dr. Gerald Hawkins? No, I don't think so. Okay, Dr. Gerald yes, Hawkins wrote a couple of books in the early 1970s. His most famous book is called Stonehenge Decoded, mm. in which he determined all of the astronomical alignments at Stonehenge and, and advocated that it was set up like, uh, like an astronomical clock uh, you know, to identify certain astronomical alignments. So that came from Dr. Gerald Hawkins. Okay. Now, he was a, a professor at Boston University, and in his later years, he got interested in studying uh, crop circles. And he made... Uh, he wrote a crop circle uh, science paper in which he talked about he had identified uh, this really interesting uh, sort of property of certain crop circles. If there were multiple circles in a group, he would measure out the sizes of each circle, and then he would take what he called the mother circle, whatever one was the biggest one, and he would divide in the diameters of the smaller ones into that, and he would get a ratio. And it turns out that those mathematic ratios, he said, in all the crop circles that he looked at, were a very specific kind of ratio called a diatonic ratio. Anybody, any musicians in here know what a diatonic ratio is? It's like the intervals on a, on a yep. piano, on a keyboard, interval from C to D, D to E, E to F, right? Okay, so... He uncovered this idea that, that perhaps there is a mathematics involved in, that, in the, the design of these circles that relate somehow to the same kind of intervals uh, of frequencies on, uh, in music. Well, Alan took that uh, like one step further. What he found was that if you do those kinds of ratios, or you look at the distances away from the mother circle from these Celtic cross patterns, they solve a geometric puzzle that goes all the way back to the time of the Egyptians. From the time of the Egyptians up until Alan Brown started working on this, geometers had discovered six known ways of solving this geometric puzzle. Puzzles known as squaring the circle. Yeah. Where you take a circle and you have to construct a square of equal area uh, using just a compass and a straight edge from that. So you're trying to get the same area as the circle as the square. Um, and what he found was that the circles in the crop circle defined the squaring of the circle. Wow. It didn't matter 
um, you know, the different sizes of the circles, it, 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 it worked every time. He, he uncovered uh, 52 new ways of solving the puzzle that nobody had known about before wow. by studying these Celtic cross patterns in England. Well, because I had spoken uh, at the same conference with him and we sort of, you know, struck up a friendship, I said to him, hey, this crop circle in Ohio uh, has a Celtic cross pattern in its design. I don't know if you noticed it, uh, but here is uh, the oh, design. Yeah, okay, go. So there is a central circle made up of those two crescents, right? And the, the standing crescents. And then you have these four outer circles. And so what Alan found was that it solved the squaring of the circle in two new ways that he hadn't found previously. What? And they were better than 99.6% accurate. Wow. And so you have his on the, this would be on your uh, far left, the, what he called a simple squared circle solution in which you, uh, you know, take the, that ratio out there. And then his other one, which is called the tangential squared circle solution. You can see what the percentage of accuracy is between those. And so uh, you have this sort of idea of understanding new kinds of knowledge that humans haven't figured out before, but it's being demonstrated in this geometry in this field. And, uh, and so if you were to try to figure out that geometry and lay that out, uh, <clears throat> Alan tried to uh, figure mm. out here are all the necessary geometric points and circles that you need to construct that figure out in the field. And of course, they're not there, right? All those constructed li construction lines to get those points aren't there. So it's, it's, a, it's kind of a, you so know. So if it was man-made, all of those lines or tracks would have had to be there to construct. Correct. Jeez, um. Yeah, and so that's, okay. not, that's not in there. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of one of those things. Wow, the, the, the mystery really deepens. I was about to say that. <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, I've always heard that crop circles, the geometric patterns represent sound. They represent frequency. It's like this woo-woo thing. We'll get to that. Or, you know what I mean? It, but you, I've heard this throughout <laughs> we'll the years. That. of, <laughs> yeah. And now we're realizing that a lot of sacred geometric patterns with the work of cymatics and sending sound through these plate sand. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever looked that oh, stuff yeah. up. It's really, really fascinating. But, you know, there's patterns of crop circles that will pop up in those. 432 mm -hmm. frequencies and all those octaves. So yep. that's I'm wild. just, uh, I've got an arrow there pointing to that. That circle is 18 feet away from any line, any construction line. Right. So that's uh, that's just out there. Now, um, a, a little more on uh, the geometric analysis. Oh boy, so here we go. Ted Robertson uh, looked at wow. the geometry of this, and he figured out that actually the design of it is based on an, a, a geometric uh, uh, design known as the flower of life. Yeah. Or it's really the seed of life that creates the flower of life geometry. So that's what this geometry is based upon. Um, and that in that sort of in the center vesica Pisces and the vesicula, those actually incorporate higher mathematics. So square root of two, square root of three, square root of five. That's how you construct those features. And so there's a bit of math involved in trying to figure out that stuff. Uh, but that's what uh, is incorporated in that geometry. So it's not 
as simple as it looks in the field, it's actually very geometrically complex when you really start to figure out, well, how would you go about fixing, yeah, how would you go about putting this together? Well, it's based on this, and it's based on this, and it's based on this, and it's really, it gets really complicated. Let me just let you know, I've tried to make this, the seed of life and the flower of life in, in Photoshop. Yeah. It was very, very difficult. <laughs> yeah. I had to get essentially like my repeatable pattern and then anchor that pattern so the circles would fall in line. So right. you kind of had to program it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it's so hard to even do it in Photoshop. Right. So uh, you're not yeah. doing this in the cover of darkness in a you know soybean field <laughs> with a board. During a rainstorm. And your buddy in saying, hold my beer, I gotta go yeah. you know, make this crop circle. During, yeah. during a rainstorm. So getting back to the diatonic ratios. All right. So. That's wild. We decided to uh, do that diatonic ratio analysis for this crop circle here at Serpa Mound. And also there was one in the following year in the closest farm field to the Miamisburg Mound. Gary, Gary Argebright, if you were here, mentioned the Miamisburg Mound. The closest field to that mound uh, in the summer of 2004 in a cornfield had this a very similar design crop circle in it. And so we measured that one out and uh, we... Uh, had a couple of our members, uh, D. Gregg, uh, mechanical engineer down in Texas, he calculated out the diatonic ratios. And then uh, Ted Robertson, who makes harpsichords for a living, is going to play them for you here. So what you've done is we, we were able to figure out all of the different diatonic ratios within the design. So you can see he's got it plotted out for the Miamisburg crop circle up there. So when you try to figure out what those diatonic ratios are, where are the notes that, that are up there? Now, what's interesting about the two crop circles is that the Miamisburg one is the first crop circle that anybody's ever found that had a non-diatonic ratio involved in it one of the sharp keys on the on the piano keyboard. So it's got a little bluesy uh, effect oh, when you wow. play it. Uh, and so you That's have, uh, you know, just the straight, you know, uh, note set. And then you have this one that's got this other odd key out there. So it's kind of interesting. And to hear it played on a harpsichord, it's kind of weird too. So, but, all right. So, uh, of course, uh, this was, uh, you know, in a farm field across the street from Serpent Mound. Now, I'd actually visited Serpent Mound twice before. Um, the first time I went to Serpent Mound was in 1996. And the second time was two years later, I think in 98. And the second time I came down, uh, I, I was on spring break uh, and we were traveling around to visit a bunch of mound sites. And the person I was with, when we got down into the valley, as you descend, uh, coming down uh, Ohio State Route 73 from Hillsboro, you descend down into the crater. When you got down into the crater, that's where that farm field is. And then you hit Brush Creek, and then you hit the entrance to Serpent Mound. By that point in time, in 2003, we'd been I'd been personally investigating crop circles in the fields since 96. I'd been researching them since 88. And so I knew quite a bit about them. And I knew that crop circles don't appear anywhere or everywhere in the landscape. They only appear where there are certain contextual features around. One of them is that they usually appear near some kind of body of water, a creek, a pond, a drainage ditch. In this circumstance, it's right next to Brush Creek. And on the other side of the field is a, a spring. 
that you can go and get water from today. And so it's between these bodies of water. Another feature is that they appear uh, at the downslope or the very lowest part of a field. They don't generally appear on the tops of hills or you know, near the tops of hills. They're usually in the lowest part of the area, which it, obviously this field is. It's right down there in the floodplain. The third thing is that we found, and, and all of these things are in, uh, like 95% of all the cases. The third one is that they appear near power lines. Um, and we're not sure exactly why that's the case, but there is a power line that runs along 73 on the opposite side of the road. And in 85% of the cases, the closest power line pole to the crop circle usually has a transformer box on it. Don't really understand why that's the case. Not all power line poles have that, uh, but that, that's in the overwhelming majority of the cases we see that. The fourth big correlation is that in 65% of the crop circles that we've seen in the United States, they're coming down in very close proximity to ancient mounds and earthworks. And that's where wow. I got involved. I had an interest in Serpent Mound before this because I used to teach physics and astronomy. I was interested in the archaeoastronomy of Serpent Mound. But when I drove down into that valley, I said to the person I was with, boy, this would be the the best location for a crop circle to happen. It has all of these things around there, and eight years later, that's exactly what happened. Wow. Wait, 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 wait. You almost kind of like out. Babe Ruth it? Yeah. <laughs> right here would and be a the, great the, spot and for a and crop circle. And the, the specific field, too. Wilson. And I said, that's, that's yeah. the field right there. That's got all the things yeah. around it. And it's, uh, Yeah, it's always so. by water. So I, mean, I was a little surprised when, you know, I get this email from Delcy, and then I talked to her on the phone, and she says, yeah, it's in a field near Serpent Mound. And I was thinking to myself, Really? Bingo. Which one? Which one is that in? And it turned out to be the one that I had picked, you know, back yeah. in 98. Yeah. So. so you said in Ohio, 65% of crop circles are located near mounds or some other feature that you've kind yep. of mm -hmm. built this schematic list for. Is yeah, that true? And in a couple of cases, this is an interesting story. So one of the crop circles, the first one that Ted Robertson went to, T.C. Uh, Robertson went to uh, in Indiana, was in a, in a cornfield uh, kind of in south central Indiana. And I kept bugging him. I said, look, we know this correlation exists. What is in that area that, that might be near there? What's the and magnet? And he's yeah. like, there's nothing. There's nothing around. I said, find out from the historical you know, societies and call the archaeology departments. Find out because there's likely there's something there. No, no, no. Three years after that crop circle happened, Indiana University excavated a mound, a uh, circular enclosure right near where that crop circle was. The crop circle knew it was Whoa. there, but the archaeologists hadn't, hadn't found it Weird. yet. Wild question. Do you think some of the mound structures are a correlation to old crop circles? That is like a, a very marker. interesting question. Good question. Um, one of the first people to ask that question is the guy that wrote the very first book about crop circles. Dr. George Terence Meaden over in England. He was an atmospheric physicist. He wrote a, uh, the very first book about crop circles called The Circle's Effect and Its Mysteries uh, in early 1988, it came out. And he was, he was a meteorologist, uh, atmospheric physicist, and he ran a group called uh, Tornado Research Organization over there. He was tracking tornadoes and stuff like that. And so when circles started coming down in England, He's thinking, oh, this is really strange whirlwind kind of stuff. 
And so that's how he got involved in investigating them. And, he, and then he wrote this whole book about uh, everything that he was finding. Well, after he kind of spent 10 years researching crop circles uh, as a sort of this side thing that he was doing with this weather stuff, because he had been going to so many of them in the ancient landscape in England, they're coming down near places like Stonehenge, Avebury, Silbury Hill, you know, all right. these ancient sites. He decided to go, now he was probably in his 50s then, he went back to Oxford University, got his degree in archeology, span and he, he uh, had this theory that the crop circles were happening and then ancient peoples were coming in there mm and memorializing them. Wow. Now, a, a, a German researcher friend of mine, uh, he, he, his name is Andreas Muller, he went to Africa to research crop circles in Africa. He went to uh, visit with this uh, medicine man down in Africa. There had been reports of crop circles there for a long time, and the practice there was, uh, if a crop circle was reported in some village, they would send for this medicine man to come and interpret it for them. Oh. But it might take a few weeks, it might take a couple months, yeah. you know, and so, you know, to send out for him and him to make his way there. So what they would do is they would go around the size of the circle and pound in wooden poles to memorialize it. So, it, you know, if something happened to it right. in the meantime, they would have the record of it. And so, right. He documented that, uh, you know, practice in Africa. So it's entirely possible that many of these ancient sites could be in some way, shape, or form related to something similar like Is that. Is that how the Woodhenge started? You know, some, something like that. Yeah. The one, I mean, we visited Cahokia last year. Mm -hmm. And it's the, I mean, we've been there a couple of times. It's so big. We had never seen the Woodhenge. Yep. It's magnificent. And there's one here as well in Serpent yeah, Mound. Yeah, Serpent Mound has know, a Woodhenge, just... right. And so wow. this is just, uh, you know, my interest in that was identifying all these different astronomical alignments at, Ser at Serpent Mound. All these yellow lines are all of the solar alignments for the solstices and the equinoxes. All the blue lines are all the lunar alignments, northernmost moonrise to southernmost moonrise, midpoint rise. When I first started doing archaeoastronomy at Serpent Mound, the first thing I wanted to do was confirm the summer solstice alignment through the oval, because that's the most famous one. And the first time I did that was in uh, 2004. And it was during that uh, sunset that I then noticed that after the sun had set, uh, Venus was right there setting at the same time uh, within probably 25 minutes. Uh, and so then it dawned on me, well, actually, every place that you would see a solar alignment, the, the, you can actually see planetary alignments in every single one of those because all the visible planets travel around the sun and they follow the same path across the sky that the sun does. And so where the sun rises and sets and all of these dates, you'll see the planets rise and set in those same places. Uh, so you'll see Mercury. In fact, when I went to a computer uh, astronomy program to kind of identify that setting alignment, uh, Mercury was between Venus and the, and the horizon after the sun had set. So Mercury set, then Venus set, then Saturn set. And interestingly enough, in the opposite direction of that summer solstice sunset alignment, the full moon was rising in the opposite direction which happens from time to time. And so I think the astronomical alignments are much more complicated. It's just a matter of documenting them all. And so 
from 2004 until you know today, we've found a few additional ones along the way that hadn't been previously reported. Most of these were documented in a very short period of time between uh, 1986 and 1989. Uh, and the people who documented them is the subject of my talk for tomorrow evening. There you go. Uh, all about the solstice alignments at, at Serpent Mound. Now, so. real quick, Jeff, yeah. I know a, a lot of folks uh, at Serpent Mound and some of the, they're starting to say that all the signs that are talk about the alignments, they're getting rid of them. The alignments aren't real. This is, so they don't agree. But here <laughs> right. we are looking at all these. I mean, yeah. what are we to believe? I, I'm so confused by that. Well, um, the there's clearly alignments. Let me let me go back to the uh, solar one so you can kind of see the solar alignments here. Yeah, simple one. So that that first summer solstice sunset alignment through the oval, which is what everybody came and watched on Wednesday uh, on the day of the solstice. Um, that was discovered by two dowsers. That really irritates the scientific people over at the o OHC. Uh, and they don't like to acknowledge that that discovery was made by uh, husband and wife team, Clark and Marjorie Hardiman. The next three solar alignments, the summer solstice sunrise, the equinox sunrise, and the winter solstice sunrise, those were discovered by two amateur archaeologists. Uh, they were not professionals. Uh, and so you're starting to see a pattern here. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, all of the lunar alignments uh, were discovered by uh, Bill Romaine, who uh, also discovered the True North Line, which allowed the, the two guys, the two amateurs, to calculate out the solstice sunrises. It's a little more complicated than that, but yeah. essentially, uh, Romaine was not affiliated with a university or a museum program or anything like that. He's an independent archaeologist, yep. although he is trained. Uh, he's, a, he's got his PhD in archaeoastronomy. So what you have is a group of non-affiliated yep. uh, you know, archaeo enthusiasts that are making these discoveries. So over time, what has happened is the people at the OHC initially only endorsed the sunrise alignments, okay. because later on, those two uh, amateurs then worked with Dr. Brad Lepper from the OHC in doing the uh, excavation of the central coil where they got the so-called Fort Ancient date. Uh, so they worked with him. And so the OHC endorsed those sunrise alignments, but not uh, uh, and and informally endorsed the, the, the summer solstice sunset was there by allowing people to come out and view it but they never really endorse anything. If you, you go over there, there is a sign that only shows those four alignments still to this day. But recently, about two years ago, uh, Dr. Brad Lepper and uh, the chief of the Shawnee, Dr., uh, I mean, uh, Chief Ben Barnes, wrote a short paper in which they declared that there are no archaeoastronomy alignments at Serpent Mound at all. They don't exist, period, end of story. And mm. Uh, to me, I, I, I just say, well, you can believe what they say or you can just go, watch, go out there and watch them because that's exactly what we've been documenting for, you know, 30 the years. there. Yeah. And right. so if anybody's interested in that, you can go out on YouTube. I've done time-lapse videos of standing there and watching the sun in the alignment. And so, you know, and I've 
for the last four years, documented all of them repeatedly by flying drones over. Uh, and so whether it's on the ground or in the air or on a computer or calculating it, the alignments are there, the alignments are there, the alignments are there, the alignments are there. And then you got two guys that say, no, there's nothing there. Move on, there's nothing to see here. So, you know, I and just- close the curtain, sorry. I Mark. just go with the evidence, I go with what the data says. <laughs> Uh, no, you know, you've heard guy. that repetitly over, <laughs> you know, with all of the speakers today is uh, just follow where the evidence takes you. you Absolutely. Know? So um, I, I just threw in this because uh, so, people may have this question. Where is Serpent Mount inside the meteor crater? It's way there on the southwest uh, corner. There's the meteor crater. I put together this LIDAR map of the crater that shows the relief of the crater itself uh, because there's this thing out there about... Um, well, uh, the crop circle is there because of the meteor crater. Well, we don't really know any, any right. correlation with that. The meteor crater happened 200 million years ago. Right. Um, now, it did fracture the rock in a lot of places. And um, let me see if uh, you can see this in color. You can see the relief in color, white being the highest points, green being the lowest points. Uh, so the crop circle happened on the southwest side down there by Serpent Mound in one of those really dark green low areas. And so there is a bunch of faults in the, in the, uh, in the crater. If I uh, go forward here. So this uh, map on the left is a map that was made by uh, some guys from the Ohio Division of Geological Survey. Uh, they went through and measured the electromagnetic field changes in the crater itself. So Serpent Mound sits in between two magnetic field highs in the crater. There is a magnetic field low in the crater on the opposite side, over, way over about four miles that way. There's also a group that came in and studied that there were gravitational anomalies in the crater. That's what the map on the right is. And so what I did was I took those two maps and I plotted them out on the crater so that you can see uh, where those different uh, anomalies are within the crater. So here's our crater again. You can see where Serpent Mound is. The crop circle is right near where Serpent Mound is. And so let's see. Uh, all right. So the orange that. and yellow are the, the magnetic field highs. The blues... Um, are the are the lows? I'm sorry. These are yeah. Those are the gravitational anomalies. The black lines in there, which are hard to read, are all the fault lines. And so uh, you can see all of that stuff in there. And I guess it's both. Um, the blue the blue is the gravity. I think the yellow and red what, is the electromagnetic. What field. do you mean gravity anomalies? There's okay, higher so levels of gravity. Less when they're gravity? when they're when the meteorite or comet, we don't know which, impacted, it fractured the rock mm -hmm. and it created different densities in the rock, which then correlates to a different level yeah. of gravity in the area that can be okay. measured with wow. a gravitometer. And that's what those guys did at Ohio Department of Geology. Wow. So the really high uh, anomaly there where Serpent Mound is, it's on the edge of it, but the crop circle definitely is in it. Did that play a role? Did it not play a role? We don't know for sure. Yeah. Um, but that is the correlation that I've reported on. Right in, there. And some them people have taken that and they've run with that and made all kinds of claims yeah. based on that. Yeah. Um, we don't really know, but that's the correlation. Wow. And How, as they always say, correlation doesn't equal causation. Right? Yeah, so, fair point. Yeah. How are we doing on time, Jeff? Uh, good. I think there's just two slides left. Okay, cool. So we have... 
you had mentioned, or I had mentioned this story to you, so I figured I would throw this picture in here. Yeah. yeah. All right. So as we were all exiting the crop circle after we uh, were in there all day long investigating it, we had been taking GPS readings in the crop circle. You see the GPS there in the foreground. That's being held by uh, T.C. Robertson. You can see Delcy there, Delcy's uh, late father in the background. And then the guy with his arm kind of out there with the pipe, that's Roger Sugden. Roger Sugden is kind of amused there, like what is going on? Because he's got a pair of binoculars that have a digital camera built into it. And it got hot in his hands. And, and mm. he's like, what is going on there? And so he literally ripped the batteries out of it because the batteries were overheating and, and going to fry the electronics. At the same time, Ted was observing that the electronics on the Garmin uh, began to glow and it fried the electronics in the Garmin and he took the picture of that happening. Wow. Is this a particularly hot day? What time of day is this? Uh, this is this... about nine o'clock at night. Uh, so in the evening. So it was noticeable too. So it's dark yeah. enough out now yeah. that all this Just, happening. He says, start glowing like, you know, when you used to turn off an old tube TV and in the dark it would glow a little bit. Yeah. He said that was the glow coming from it and wow. uh, just fried so the electronics Picking up out. that energy source from somewhere and right. getting into those devices. Now, I mentioned that uh, the following crop circle that we went to up in Ross County, I had the same thing happen in that crop circle, and Ted took a picture of me with a puzzled look on my face, holding my Garmin with it glowing in my hand, and wow. it fried the electronics in that. Done, Different done, Garmin. I had done. two of them. No, yeah. I mean kaput after this? Yeah. Totally kaput. Yeah. yeah that's wild. And <laughs> yeah, we have heard stories from, from Tom about camera crews and car batteries just in the crater right. without the crop circle getting fried and losing power yeah. and so forth. So, so the last wow. uh, little bit here uh, is um, you would think that, uh, you know, these things are, you would, they're almost like a one-off, right? This happened in a field. We documented it. Great. We're good to go on to the next one. Well, the following year in the spring, we decided to hold a conference to talk about all the crop circle stuff that we were doing. So we held it in the crater over at Woodland Altars on the other side of the crater. Uh, people came in from all kinds of states around the country. And uh, at the end of the conference, we took people over to this field where the crop circle had happened. Now, the field had been harvested the, the you know prior year. Now here in the springtime, the crops, have they haven't uh, planted them, uh, you know, they haven't tilled the field yet, they haven't planted anything, and uh, this is what we found. Oh, look at that. So what had happened Incredible. was that the plants that were in the field, there were these tiny little purple and green flowers that would grow up, the very first vegetation that grew up in the spring, they grew up in the shape of the formation. And uh, the plants were growing faster and were healthier than the surrounding plants in the rest of the field. It looks like the negative image of it. Like everything that was laid down is green. Right, yeah. And exactly. everything that was yeah. upright is brown. The yep. pathway coming into it. Yep, you see the this pathway is that, too. Is that from when this is or is that from the residual? That's from whatever this residual is. The pathway too. The pathway too, yeah. Because somebody walked back. Now that's back interesting. Yeah. From probably from being in there. had the energy on so their shoes. Or that's we what don't I'm really wondering. know. These yeah, right. echo effects are very rare. I can, I've can. i only been able to document about a dozen of them around the world. It happened here, and it happened at the one in Ross County that we went to just a couple of weeks later. Um, and uh, 
outside of that, there really hasn't been maybe one or two other documented in the United States, uh, just a handful over in Europe, just two or three. So it's, it's a really rare thing to see this. Of the ones studied so, like that or have noted like that, is there any correlation of the readings being higher in those? Almost nobody does the kind of work that our team okay. does. Um, in fact, there, I would venture to say that there is no other team doing the kind of work that we're doing on these crop circles uh, that, that we had been doing here in the United States. Um, most of the people that are looking at crop circles are more enthusiasts that, you know, or I hate to say this word, but like crop circle tourists. They go out there, they go look around. This is cool, I want, to, I want the vibe. I want to feel what it's like. They're not really documenting it like we are to try to understand what is making them, what's the source cause of them, what is that? They're, they're kind of on. captivated by it, but they're not trying to understand the underpinnings. They're just maybe right. going, hey, I don't understand it. I just want right. this picture. Yeah. Fair enough, but I mean, doing Wild the work stuff. that you've done with, yeah. I call it ICRA or ICCRA, yeah. mm -hmm. um, I think is super important too, because you need to be able to go, did this happen before? Do we know these? What, you know, to right. be able to cross-reference, that's why he always says, I love data because you can tell a lot from data. That's how you get pictures and whole stories out of things from yeah. going, these match up, that doesn't match up, and how do I want to cross-reference this? Yeah, so you, you guys have seen, you know, some of my ar archaeology presentations. I try to be as thorough as possible. Yeah. I, I'm very, oh, very much a stickler on thorough. the details. That's a, um, quite yeah. an understatement. <laughs> and so we, we applied the same kind of methodology to this. And too, thorough. So. <laughs> if Jeff thorough. were a wrestler of archaeological history, he'd be the ki Jeff the Kitchen Sink Wilson. Because <laughs> he does not He'll miss the a single item uh well i wouldn't go that far but i i, I mean, try to cover as it much as, as possible much I, but yeah. if you don't you'll add it later yeah yeah this has been awesome jeff it's, uh i would first of all love to uh you know have you send us out this is your event we appreciate you hosting us and allowing us to come out here is there anything very much that so. you want to leave everyone with well Talks did a little you guys bit more. decide are we going to do a longer version of this uh for the anniversary in august so i think for the anniversary we're thinking about doing a actually a mini doc project because i think yeah. it might be you had talked about some of the guys that we could potentially interview so instead of getting all those folks in in for a podcast episode maybe we just go out and interview all them and get their story Roundtown uh ufo researchers and uh, the other Certainly. gentlemen that yeah. you talked about as well mm -hmm. So keep an eye out for that. We might have a project coming with Jeff. August 24th is the 20th anniversary, so. Yeah, 20, yep, 24. 24th. 24th, so it's coming right around the corner, but we're gonna do something regarding the Serpent <laughs> Mountain Crop something, Circle. I think something, yeah. In well, a little bit more depth. You, it, we, we certainly didn't answer all your questions, but we can really go. Well, that's what I'm that, saying. So. Yeah, I think we oh, can, we'll go in deep. We're going to dig we'll into some in of deep. those for sure. But like I said, I, I think story, we'll have you this, back in. We've really, honestly, just in this, you know, short period of time with these 15 slides are really scratching just the surface. It gets way more mysterious and way deeper than that. Wow. We're going to need to get a campfire well, tonight. It's already blown. <laughs> we're going to need to do a campfire podcast later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this has been great. Uh, all of you, thank you guys so much for thank hanging out with us. Thank you for entertaining us and uh, hanging this out is, with us. This is awesome. Thank you, thank you. This is the first live podcast we've ever done. Uh, Jeff, if there's anything you want to leave us with, let us know about uh, where we can find Friends of the Serpent Mound. Sure. And uh, So Friends of the Serpent Mound is serpentmound.org. Um, if you're interested in this crop circle stuff, that's iccra.org. 
And uh, so you can find that material in either place. Cool. And the Facebook group, the uh, Friends, Friends of the Serpent Mound on yeah. Facebook, you can find us there. Uh, There's always a lot of conversation, chats, comments, yeah. articles, yep. links, posts, so Absolutely. any kind well, of information. For, for the audience that's here, uh, stick around. We have uh, some music following uh, this podcast, so we'll take a break and set this up. Uh, the great have... and powerful Terry Rivera. Yes, Terry oh, yeah. Rivera in the back. Uh, she's here. She's so the, the grandmother of Serpent Mountain Star Knowledge. We've we've done uh, a lot of projects with her and her husband, Tom. And, so and, it's great uh, to see her. Is our first musical guest today going to return to uh, Chris? Are you coming Mr. up Chris too? Davis. All right. Chris yeah. Davis is coming back. All right. So All right. Stick <laughs> around for, for that music and uh, enjoy. Uh, please, uh, you know, Walk around, visit the vendors, because they're the ones that, uh, you know, pay for all of this. So if you s support what we're doing up here, please support them out there. And uh, Absolutely. Strange Road uh, also is one of our sponsors here. You can see some of the sponsors here for... Uh, for the event. So thank you very much, guys. Yeah, thank absolutely, you. and happy to be one. If you guys want to follow us, we're at The Strange Road on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Uh, we have a Facebook group as well, The Strange Road Hitchhikers. Please do reach out, come and say hi to us. We have some uh, stickers, that's we've about got, all of our swag. We're, we're gonna be helping Terry out with the music and Chris and all them with the music, but we're gonna be around and we can hang out and chat. If you guys uh, wanna come say hi, please do. Um, yeah. yeah, check us out on YouTube. Uh, it's an audio and video podcast, and we do a lot of live streaming and other events as well. So thank you guys so, so much. You, you guys again. rule. Take care. We're out.